said to Ant, is there anything particular he'd like me to preach about? He said, well, something about Christmas. And so I would like to start, once I've got all my gadgets switched on, by reading a, a very well-known scripture from the Christmas story, from the book of Luke, chapter 2 and verse 8. Um, and I'm going to be going to quite a few scriptures. If you'd like to follow, you're most welcome. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And this is one of the wonderful pictures that we have of the Christmas story. And I, I speak about it often at this time because you have this amazing situation where it says shortly after this, suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on the earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And there was this angelic choir performing to a little bunch of, of shepherds out in the middle of nowhere, probably the greatest choir ever witnessed on earth. And I often wonder, why did it happen there? Why didn't it happen somewhere important? And I think possibly, and this is just me, maybe it wasn't a planned concert. Maybe it was just that as the angel announced that, the other angels couldn't contain themselves for the joy that they felt at the birth of the Savior. And they burst into song and reveal themselves to these people. But this is a message given, and it says to them that they have good news for all the people. And that's really the crux of what I want to speak about this morning. Christmas as good news for all the people. Because if you have a little bit of a look at the translation, when it says all the people, it uses the, the Greek word laos, which means a people in general. It doesn't use the word demos, which would be your people, your nation. The, the shepherds, when they heard the announcement of the Christ, I believe, saw it as the announcing of the Savior for the people of Israel. But it was much, much broader than that. I'm going to jump backwards and forwards in Scripture this morning as, as I try and look at what people thought was right and what was correct and actual fact what God said in their meetings with him. So I want to jump forward in Scripture from the announcement of the birth of Jesus to the book of Acts of the Apostles. He's left his apostles. He has completed his work that he was born to do. We celebrate his birth, but he'd gone on and had that incredible life. He died, he'd risen, he'd conquered sin, come back to his disciples, he'd met with them, they'd spent some time together, and Jesus ascended and went back into heaven. And before he went... He said to his apostles, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then he goes back to heaven, and we have the wonderful occurrence of Pentecost, when the power of the Holy Spirit falls on these people, and they begin to preach, and the church begins to grow exponentially. But it grows in Jerusalem, and it grows amongst Jewish people. It grows within Israel, and they preach to everybody in Israel that will listen to them. After a while, after they've had a comfortable time in Jerusalem for a while, persecution begins to break out, and people flee. And as they flee, they begin to spread the gospel. And we're going to pick up in the book of Acts chapter 
uh, sorry, Acts chapter 10 and verse 44, when something incredibly important happens. Peter's been called to the home of a Roman. He's been called to the home of a Gentile. And at this time, all of the apostles and all of the believers, although they were following Christ and although they had given their lives to Christ and believed that he was their salvation, were still very strictly following their cultural and traditional rules and the Mosaic law. And they, under that law, would not associate with, eat with, or share in communion or conversation with somebody who was not of Israel, who was not a Jew. And for the sake of time, we're not going to read all the scriptures, but Peter's just had an incredible vision in which God has impressed upon him that things that he might think are unclean are not unclean if God makes them clean. And shortly after that, there's a knock on the door of the house that he's at, and he's invited by some Gentiles to come to the house of a Roman and talk about Christ. And because God has prepared him, Peter goes. And we pick up the story as he's in the house of this guy called Cornelius, and he's talking about the way of Jesus Christ, and he's sharing the gospel. And it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Peter was one of Jesus' closest disciples. He had spent the best part of three years with Jesus. And on those few occasions where Jesus selects just a few of his disciples to go with him to accomplish something, Peter was one of those that was always chosen. And yet only now, at this point, does the penny drop for Peter that this message that they have to share is for the Gentiles as well. Up until that point, with the greatest of good intentions, the apostles had believed that the story of Jesus and the salvation brought by Jesus was intended for Jews only. And Peter has a graphic intervention a sovereign intervention from the Holy Spirit, and he sees God's approval as the word that he's speaking takes root in these people's lives and they changed, and something goes click in his head and he goes, this is what Jesus meant. But he hadn't realized that until that time. And we need to understand that this was rooted in a deep-seated expectation about what the Messiah was supposed to be which the Jewish people carried. And to understand what the expectation of what the Messiah should be that the Jewish people carried at the time of Jesus, you have to understand their history. When Israel was brought into the promised land first by God, there was an instruction given by God that they either destroy or chase out everybody who lived there so that they could live unsullied by contact with other gods in Israel, but they didn't do it. They left some of the tribes behind for various reasons. And so God says to them through his angel, I'm going to leave those tribes now, and they will be a thorn in your side. They'll be a test to you. And he warns them, on those occasions when you walk away from me, somebody will rise up and defeat you. But when you call out for me, I will raise someone up, and I will come and rescue you. And so you go to the book of Judges and the book of Kings, with Israel riding a roller coaster. They serve God, things go well. They begin to be disobedient. They begin to worship the gods of their neighbors. They begin to fall away. And someone, the Philistines, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, all the other Ites and Tites, somebody rises up 
and defeats them and they become an oppressed nation. And then God raises up a hero, a Barak or a Ehud or a Gideon. And in spite of everything that's facing them, and in spite of this overwhelming force that is oppressing them, God miraculously frees Israel from their oppressors and restores the kingdom of Israel and places an Israelite back in charge, either as a judge or later as a king. And so Israel's perception of a savior was somebody who would come and rescue the nation of Israel and restore the geographical nation of Israel. That's what they had come to expect. They continue on their path of serving God, falling away, serving God, fall away, and then they fall into a series of major crises. They're invaded by the Babylonians. They're taken into exile. They have the time in which we know about Daniel and those guys. And then they're brought back by Ezra and Nehemiah, but still they begin to move away from God. And in the time between when we last read their history in the Old Testament and what we begin to read in the, in, in the beginning of the New Testament, they are defeated first by the Greeks and then later by the Romans. And they are sorely oppressed, as the Old Testament would have said. They are cast down, they are destroyed, they are disempowered. They have an occupying nation. Guess what Israel is waiting for? Israel is waiting for the promised Messiah. Scripture is full in the Old Testament of the promised Messiah. But Israel is waiting for something specific. They're expecting another Gideon. They're expecting another Barak. They're expecting another Ehud. Somebody who will come, who will stir the people up, who against amazing odds will gather an army, will gather a fighting force, will do something miraculous, and will overthrow the Romans and restore the kingdom of Israel. Jesus has come, and Jesus is preaching the kingdom of God. If you look at his message, Jesus went around preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. And people get excited, because this Jesus is performing miracles. He is raising the dead. He's walking on the water. He's feeding people with a can of sardines and a couple of pieces of bread. And he's doing amazing miracles. And people go, this could be the Messiah. And when they expect that this could be the Messiah, they have an expectation of what this Messiah is going to do. They say, at last, at last, freedom from the oppression of Rome. And they begin to expect of this Messiah that he will free Israel. If we look at Luke chapter 19, verse 35, Jesus is on his way into Jerusalem. He has been ministering for three years, and he turns and he begins to head towards Jerusalem. And as people begin to track his progress, and the crowds begin to see, they say he's heading for Jerusalem. And they're not fools. They look at their almanacs, not their watches. They look at their almanacs on their iPhones, and they say the Passover is coming. The time when people from all over will gather in Jerusalem, all the Jews, and he's heading towards this hot spot that Jerusalem will become. And they say the king is coming. And when we read... In this section of Scripture, it says they brought their cloaks to Jesus, threw their cloaks on, sorry, on the colt, put Jesus on it, and as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And the Pharisees are angry that people are 
lifting this Jesus up as a king. And they say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he says, I tell you, if they kept quiet, the stones would cry out. There is an expectation and there is a rejoicing, but it's an interesting situation that we're observing here because the rejoicing is right. The king is coming. It is exactly right that they worship him to the extent that Jesus says if they didn't do it, the very rocks would cry out. But they worship him for the wrong reason. They have a reason to rejoice. It's a genuine reason. It is the greatest reason in the world. And they are rejoicing, but they're rejoicing for all the wrong reasons. He comes into Jerusalem and they expect him to make a beeline to clear out the Roman center of power and he makes a beeline to clear out the temple and to go and put right worship for God. And then he goes and dies. You know, when the people woke up one morning and they found the ro- that the, the high priest had had him arrested and that the Romans had him, there was an intense disappointment. Have you never wondered how the same crowd that could worship him as king could turn on him and say, crucify him? It's something that bothered me for a long time. And I reckon it's disappointed expectations. This guy's going to free us from the Romans, and here he is in chains standing in front of the Romans, and he's not doing anything. He's a fraud. Crucify him. Their rejoicing as Jesus entered Jerusalem was absolutely right that they rejoiced, but they were rejoicing for the wrong reasons. But it was still right that they rejoiced. Jesus still wanted the rejoicing. Jesus, I want you to remember that. Jesus didn't say, stop, you're misunderstanding. You don't understand what I'm doing. I'm not coming to restore Israel. I'm coming to bring the kingdom of God. I'm not coming as an earthly battle leader. I'm coming to defeat sin. He didn't say that. He didn't stop them. In fact, when the Pharisees said, shut them up, he said, leave them alone. If they kept quiet, the rocks would cry out. Remember that, because that's the crux of what I want to share with you this morning. Their their expectations for Jesus were built not on what he'd said. It was built on their understanding of history and their experience of Israel. Sorry, I've just lost my place. Um, I want you to, to, if you look at their expectation... And I said I was going to jump forwards and backwards. I want to jump a long way back now to see where these expectations should have started from the very beginning. And I'd like you to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 26 and verse 4. I want you to understand that God is always meant to do what he's busy doing at the moment and what he's doing today. So if we go to Genesis chapter 26 and verse 4. God is speaking to Abraham, and he says to him, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and will give them all these lands, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. What Israel never realized, what Abraham never realized from the very beginning, and what Israel didn't realize at this time that the Messiah came into their midst and entered Jerusalem was, they didn't really understand the role that Israel had. At the very beginning of God's relationship with Abraham and with Israel, he says to him, you will be a blessing for all nations. Through you, all nations will be blessed. As time went by, and it's interesting, when you look at Abraham's life, and you look at everybody that he associated with that allied themselves to him was blessed. If you were near Abraham, if you assisted Abraham, you were blessed. There was a blessing that went with it. But it went further. 
God's intention from the very beginning was that this covenant and this nation of Israel was to be the incubator or to be the carrier that would produce the Messiah into an environment where the Messiah could operate so that all the world could be saved. It was never God's intention that it was just for Israel. It was never God's intention that there was just for one genetic group of people, descendants of Abraham or those who would proselytize and come into that family. It was never the intention. If you look at the history of the Old Testament, anybody who wanted to join them, when they left Egypt, you could join them. When they conquered Jericho, Rahab joined them. When Ruth comes back to marry Boaz, she brings family, and she's family, she's a Moabitess, and she joins them. It's always been God's intention that Israel and the seed that they carried and the Messiah that they carried was there to bless all nations. It was never his intention. But minds begin to change, and people get into almost a, a mindset. If you look in Luke chapter 9, verse 49, even Jesus' closest followers, it says this, while Jesus was going, Master said, John, we saw a man driving our demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. As the disciples were going around, they looked and saw someone casting out demons in Jesus' name, and they thought, he's not part of our gang. He's not one of our group. He's not one of the originals. And they said to Jesus, should we stop him? And Jesus says, don't stop him. Whoever is not against you is for you. And if we read the scriptures carefully, we'll see all the way through that God makes us clear that the kingdom of God is coming for all mankind. And yet all along the way, there is this club thing that's forming and people begin to draw together and they think that because we have understood Jesus, because we are the seed of Abraham, this is something that's intended for us. And as a consequence... It takes quite a long time before that message moves from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when it begins to move to the ends of the earth and the apostles begin to go out and preach to the Gentiles, there are still people who want to stop them. There are still people who believe fervently that this message is not for anybody else. You know, the apostle Paul goes out and he, he, he preaches to the Gentiles for most of his ministry life. And towards the end of his ministry, he comes into Jerusalem and he gets arrested by people who don't like the fact that he's been around with Gentiles. And I find it profound that you read about it uh, in the book of, where is it? I've lost my place. Acts chapter 22 and verse 19. What's happened is that Paul's just been arrested and he's about to be taken by the Romans to be questioned. And he says, can I speak to the people of Israel? And he starts speaking to them and they stop and they listen. And he begins, because they've just been performing and, and trying to get him chucked out because they found him in the temple. And he begins to speak to them and he tells the history of Israel. And he then begins to talk about how he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and how his life has changed and how he begins to share the gospel of Jesus. And he says this, he said, he's talking to God and he says, Lord, he's telling them, these men know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. And he says, then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And listen what happens. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. And then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. 
Everything else Paul says is okay until he says, I'm taking this message out of the Gentiles. And then they freak out and they want to kill him. It's a sad story, isn't it? That we look, we have God's amazing plan, we have God's amazing grace, God's amazing love, God's amazing generosity. And the Messiah comes, and the Messiah comes preaching salvation to the whole world. The angels announce that this will be to all men. When he's born as a baby, the angels announce that this will be to all men. But it doesn't happen. Until God intervenes and begins to change people's minds and show them. And you might be sitting there thinking, wouldn't it have been fantastic if the Jews hadn't caught on quicker? Wouldn't it have been fantastic if they didn't get God's plan? How could they be so selfish with the Messiah? How could the apostles and the disciples have been so selfish with the Messiah? Why didn't they want to share? What I really want to say to you this morning is we're still doing it. We're still doing it. It's Christmas time. You get a bunch of Christians together around about this time, and you begin to talk about the celebration of Christmas, and before too long, we will begin to complain about the commercialization of Christmas. We will begin to complain about office parties. We will begin to complain about people who don't know Jesus celebrating. And we'll become a little bit angry. We will hear some of our television announcers making snide jokes about baby Jesus. We will see comedy sketches of people not reverencing our Messiah in the way that we want. And we become angry because he's our Messiah. Surely he's come for those of us who understand. Surely he's come to those of us who have responded. And surely it's not right that anybody else is happy at all. And surely it's not right that they celebrate in an inappropriate way. Because they don't understand the right reason for Jesus being here. I might be pushing my finger on a tender spot. Because it's a common theme that we as Christians have. Can I say this to you? We don't own the Messiah. Christianity doesn't own the Messiah. Christians don't own the Messiah. And we don't have a copyright on celebrating the fact that he's come to earth. When they celebrated Jesus going into Jerusalem, they didn't have a foggy as to what he was going to do. They didn't know why he was coming. They were celebrating for all the wrong reasons. And when the Pharisees say to Jesus, keep them quiet, he says, if they kept quiet, the rocks will cry out. To the most miserable sinner, to the most degenerate, unrepentant, sarcastic, Jesus-blaspheming sinner, there is good news at Christmas time that the Messiah has come and whoever receives him and calls on his name will be saved. It's not a case of whether they accept it or not. It is good news because the offer is on the table. Jesus came for everybody. Jesus came for everybody. And when we celebrate that, we need to celebrate that in the light that there are millions of people out there who don't understand why we're celebrating. 
They're shouting and throwing their cloaks on the ground for Father Christmas and the Easter bunny and tinsel and presents and turkey and eggnog and all those kind of things because that's their expectation of what they want. And they're wrong in the way they're celebrating, but they're right in the fact that they're celebrating something. Because whether they understand it or whether they've accepted it or not, the Messiah has come. And we understand that. And so I want to challenge you, what are we doing about changing the way people celebrate Christmas? What are we doing to change the situation around? There's a growing perception amongst non-Christians that we're a bunch of people who around about this time start saying, you don't know what you're doing, you don't know what you're doing, you have no right, what do you think you're doing? Put away your presents, don't commercialize Christmas. And it is wrong to celebrate it that way, just like it was wrong to expect that Jesus was going to overthrow the Romans. But you know what, this is a time when people think about Jesus. This is a time when people hear his name like they've never heard it before, whether they want to or not. What are we doing as individuals to make use of that situation? What are people seeing about my joy about the Messiah coming? Are they seeing a joy that I'm saying, hallelujah, praise God, there is salvation for this world, there is salvation for the worst sinner, there is salvation for the most reprobate, unappreciative person in this world through Jesus Christ, if we can only have them understand who he is. Or am I saying, leave my Savior alone? Don't you dare put a little bit of mud around the edge of his robes. Don't you dare not do things in the way that I would do it. It's harsh to think about it this way, guys. We have our wonderful plan of how Christmas should be. And if we're not careful, it's a bless me club in our clubhouse with our own secret societies and our own little traditions that we have. And it's quite scary when you think of it that way. And instead of people seeing joy and welcome, they see disapproval and criticism and judgment. How about we use this as a time to evangelize? How about we use this as a time when people look to us and see such joy in the, in the fact that we are celebrating the coming of our Savior, that that joy overflows in an attitude, not just words, but in an attitude that says, I want you to be part of this as well. We say to people, come along to our carol services. We say to people, come along. But our attitude says, but you're not really worthy because you've commercialized Christmas. How dare you? Guys, we'd all love it if Christmas was celebrated with the real holiness that it was supposed to be. That's only going to happen when this whole world knows him as their Lord and Savior. It's not going to happen before that. And John 3 says, except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot comprehend it. He cannot understand it. He cannot discuss it. We're talking to a world that doesn't understand Jesus. We're talking to a world that doesn't have a background in the Bible. And if all they get from us is once a year, we have a celebration and we say, you guys back off because you do it wrong. What's to attract them in? Jesus the Messiah does not belong to us. He belongs to all the world and he's good news for all the world. Every nation every faith. He's not asked to keep us our special club, make part of our special celebrations that others are not to know about or observe like some strange secret society. He's the savior of the world. It's right that the world celebrates. The angels celebrated at his birth. You know why I think the angels sang at that choir? You know why they burst out singing? If they hadn't, the rocks would have cried out. 
When the Messiah came and when the Messiah entered, there's a reason for celebration, and we need to do that. So what? I believe it's a time to be moved by the need to tell others. I want you to look at Luke chapter 2 and verse 16 if you've got your Bible out. What are those dear old shepherds do? It says, The shepherds returned after they had met him, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. They went and told other people. They glorified, they praised God, and they showed the change that had been made in them. Suddenly there were a group of people in the area saying, are you guys aware that a Savior has been born? Changed by being in his presence. It goes on from there. And I need to find my places. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? Has it registered with you that they were not Jews? They possibly came from India, but definitely from the area of Southeast Asia. They weren't part of the covenant, but they'd been moved by the coming of a Messiah, and they came to worship. And it there's something that comes towards the end. You know that Herod tries to trap them into telling him where the Messiah is. And it says at the end of, of uh, Matthew chapter 2, or towards the end, it says, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The Magi, realizing that God doesn't want them to lead Herod to the Messiah, go by a different route. I would say to you that if we look at the angels, we look at the Magi, there's a lesson to learn. We need to be rejoicing and telling other people about Jesus. And we need to be changing our ways We need to be prepared to go out of our way. They went back by a different route. They went out of their way to protect and to carry the message of the Messiah. And I would say to you, are you prepared this Christmas to do something different in the way that you talk to people and the way that you celebrate Christmas? Whatever that might be. Are you prepared to reach out to somebody who really, really irritates you? Are you prepared? You know, there are two people, and I won't mention their names. It's not appropriate. Two television announcers who frequently get me foaming at the mouth. There's little beads of perspiration popping out on my forehead because of the way that they speak about Jesus. In their attempt to be funny, they are incredibly disrespectful. And there's a part of me, there's a part of me that says, they're going to get it. They're going to get it. One day when Jesus is revealed, they're going to get it. They're going to have such a fright. And that one part of you wants to stand to one side and say, yeah, yeah. You want to be there and see it happen and say, yeah, you thought you were funny, didn't you? Not laughing now. But that's not what Jesus wants. I've challenged myself, I need to pray for those people regularly and fervently. I still disagree. I still disagree with the commercialization of Christmas. I still disagree with the office parties where people get drunk. I still disagree with Jesus being supplanted by Santa Claus. But that's not the focus of my Christmas. Are we praying for? Are we reaching out? Are we, are we in the joy with which we celebrate, the unrestrained joy which says, come in and join? Are we spreading the gospel that the Messiah has come for everybody? For everybody. We need to value the gift and value those to whom it's been given. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes 
should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's what we celebrate at this time. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever. And if we value the gift, we'll value those who God has given it to. So I want to encourage you to have an amazing Christmas. I want to encourage you to come along to the services we have here at the church and to celebrate and to sing carols and to rejoice and and, and to do all those things that are wonderful. But I want to encourage you not to put Jesus in your pocket, not to wrap him up in your own tradition or your own mindset. And I want to encourage you to have a seed change take place in your heart, have have an attitude uh, change take place in your heart. Those people that are disrespecting him, He loves them to death. Literally. He loves them to death. Those people who are misbehaving, those people who are mocking us, those people who are joking, those people who have put an X in the place of Christ, those people who would rather say happy holidays than a blessed Christmas are people that Jesus loves to death. They're people that he came to the earth for, they are the reason for him entering Jerusalem. They are the reason for him being born in a manger. And you and I, well, if we've accepted him into our hearts, well, we're all right, Jack. We're on our way to heaven. But that's not what it's about. Who are you going to take with you? Who are you taking with you? And at this really, really special time, just ask God to open doors to make a way, just to create a a moment in the workplace, to create a moment next to the football field, to create a moment as you're talking to your kids, friends, parents at the school gate, whoever it might be, that moment to show the absolute love and compassion and gift that Jesus brought at Christmas time. This is a time for the whole world to sing joy to the world. And a lot of people will be singing it on Christmas morning. You won't have a proper idea as to why they're singing it. But we mustn't stop them. Unless we want the rocks to have to do the crying out. Let's pray and then I think we'll finish with a carol as we started. Lord, I'm so grateful that you are the Savior of the world. Lord, that you've made a way not just for us to be saved, but for whosoever will. I thank you, Lord, that as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ in the weeks to come, that it's great news for us, for those who have accepted him as their Lord and Savior. Lord, but it's great news for those who haven't yet. Lord, I pray that you'll forgive me for all the anger and and judgment that I've over the years had for people who've not handled this correctly. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for trying to own Jesus, to own the Messiah, to own Christmas. And I pray, Lord, that you will stir my heart and stir the hearts of each person here to find a way to share the love and the grace and the salvation of Jesus Christ to whosoever will. Lord, stir us up in our prayers. Stir us up in our hearts. Stir us up in our relationships. And Lord, we join with those heavenly nations and heavenly hosts saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth and goodwill to all men. I pray, Lord, that we will spread that in Jesus' name. Amen.